This is Existential, the podcast that reminds us that we're human first before we're anything else. And from that place, we can hear each other's stories and experiences as we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Well, hello, folks. Today, we have a, a guest on the podcast that I'm really, really excited to talk to. Uh, I became aware of her work several years ago, um, and she's recently written a new book called Native. Uh, it's Caitlin Curtis, and she is on the podcast today. Caitlin, thanks so much for coming on uh, the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, I mean, before I jump into everything, how how are you doing in general? Like, how's life treating you? How how's Atlanta? I just found I found out you lived in Atlanta. I didn't I didn't know that you were there. We moved from Atlanta um, out to California probably about ten years ago or so. So, oh, really? I know Atlanta well. Yeah, we were there nine years. Oh, so we've we've lived here about six years, and we're actually moving in a month to um, the Northeast. My partner has a job there, so so we're so it's a weird. Oh wow! Okay, we're kind of saying goodbye to Atlanta in the middle of COVID and in the middle of everything happening. So it's very very bittersweet, you know, to to not be able to say goodbye well or fully. It feels like you know there's not a lot of closure. So so it's been kind of stressful, you know. Um, not what we expected. Oh, wow. Yeah. Moving is super stressful. So he's saying <laughs> goodbye to Atlanta. <laughs> and now, how'd you, how'd you like Atlanta? You've been there six years. How is that like, how's it been there for you? Yeah. I mean, we've loved it. We've loved it a lot. Um, we both, we've never lived in larger cities. You know, we both grew up in smaller cities. So, um, we loved coming here and just kind of jumping into the adventure of, of that, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. we've loved it. So. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I want to start off by asking you about like from where I first became aware of your work. Like I, it was you were doing a talk at Baylor University. Mm-hmm. I watched that talk. It was amazing. And I actually I was speaking at a church that same week and I, I used uh, your quote about, you know, not I wouldn't dare call myself woke when I have so much more walking or waking to do. Um, I, I loved that quote. And what did you mean when you said that? Like, how did you, what does that come from for you to say that? Because, and I ask that because you are a person who advocates for social justice, for uh, marginalized people. So by all, you know, definitions, it would seem that you are woke, even though I hate that word. But what made, but what made you feel like you needed to say that? As I'm sure you know, we both know that you know, what happens when a word or a phrase or a, something within a movement becomes popular, you know, it gets taken over or it gets watered down. Right. And so it gets yeah. used by everyone. So it's like, you know, so then it just becomes, I noticed the trend of so many people saying they're woke, you know, putting it in their bio yeah. or, you know, things <laughs> like, you know, and it just, it bothers me. Like I would rather, I would rather not claim a term like terms like ally or woke or, you know, so many of these terms, I would rather not claim that term mm. and earn it, I guess, or like oh, wow. have it named over me instead of me taking it. You know what I mean? Like oh, and cool. so with that, that particular word, I wanted to kind of signal to people that I wouldn't even call myself that because I know that I'm always waking up. And not in a way like we're never enough, but just in a way to say that we all are doing this work of waking up and of 
realizing that there's more to, to be done and we can use our gifts and our, you know, our passions. We can use who we are to care for each other, you know, to lean into our collective sort of wholeness. And so, yeah, I don't even know, you know, how the quote came to me, but it's one I use a lot just because I'm trying to explain that to people, you know, let's not claim to be woke. First, let's not take that from black people. Like, you know, let's not take these phrases or these words, but let's not claim something like that without understanding it. And let's instead like be humble enough, you know, just to say like, we're always waking up. Yeah, for sure. And I love the I love the notion of like earning it, right? Of having it conferred to you instead mm-hmm. of grabbing it and claiming it and wearing it like a badge. You know, I think that's I think that's really cool. Now, I also I will also say and you can speak to or not speak to as much of this if, as you want to. I remember the whole Baylor University talk being a shit show for lack of a better term. <laughs> because like as as is so often the case, whenever someone enters currently enters into evangelical space and talks about really the gospel. It's such a foreign concept now that like people don't know how to react to it. And especially some of our white, our white brothers and sisters. So you following that talk had a lot of just dumb stuff surrounding it coming your way. How did you manage all of that? And what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, it was actually, it was really, really difficult. It was really difficult, but at the same time, you know, like, especially on Twitter, Twitter was sort of the main platform where all these people just showed up to say, I know Caitlin, I know her work, and this isn't okay. And Baylor, what are you going to do about it? And who's going to apologize? Who's going to make this right? You know, um, and I just, I was really blown away by that. Like, um, people were pre-ordering my book, you know, my new book hadn't come out. So people were like, you know, they were taking something that was pretty awful and they were elevating it to say, you know, if this is happening out there, then let's, let's do the good we need to do and let's support this person, you know? And so all these people started pre-ordering my book and sharing my work and following me and, and I was exhausted, you know, like I was absolutely (laughs) exhausted. And, you know, when you fight against a system that, you know, you're not going to win, you know, at some point you have Mm -hmm. to just, I have to know myself and I had to know that I speak on topics of decolonization within the church and the church's complicity in white supremacy. Yeah, so yeah. at some point that's going to, you know, rub some people the wrong way. <laughs> so yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, you know, but it's like, that was a moment where I entered into this history and group of people, especially women who have been through that before, who have spoken at places and have been pushed down or told that, you know, what they're saying isn't valuable. And so I'm just grateful for the people who showed up to say that my voice does matter. Like that meant a lot to me. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so glad people came out and supported you. And and I tried to, from afar to be one of those people also. And, and you know, you just said something that I, I've been thinking about and you named it. And I'm curious about how this sits with you, This this whole idea of coming up against a system that we know we're not going to beat or we know we're not going to win because like in America, that's kind of the, Mm -hmm. the, the backbone of our country is that we win, we're number one. And so to enter into an endeavor where, you know, going into it, I don't get to win this. How do you, as an, as an activist, as a writer, as a poet, as a, um, you know, a, a leader in spiritual community, how do you continue to do work that, you know, long-term you may not win at 
Yeah. Oh man. That's so true. Right. Because when people say like, what, what gives you hope? Like how do you keep doing this work? You know, um, you have to come to the reality. Like I come to the reality a lot that as an indigenous woman, like we are going to be ignored for Mm. the rest of the time that America is what it is. Like it's going to keep ignoring us. Like it's just what it is. And there may be moments where there are things that happen that are for the good, right? Like we're seeing some of these amazing, we're seeing monuments come down. We're seeing statues toppled and, you mm-hmm. know, names being changed. And that does give me hope. Um, but then it's like, I also know that we have to see the very long stretch of history to know that like, we're not going to see everything change in our lifetime. You know, it's mm-hmm. it may not happen for us to see it. And um, we have to keep going because what I see, if it's not on a an institutional level that change, I'm seeing it in individuals. And that's not to yeah. say it's individualistic change. It's happening to individual people who are understanding that they belong to the collective whole, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it does. Absolutely. I'm people, you know, wake up to the fact that they they that we belong to each other. So the the changes we make are going to affect something at some level. And if it's not our large institutions, it may not be. At least we know that that there is change happening somewhere, even if it's more on a micro level, and that maybe one day it will be enough, you know? Um, yeah. One day it will. And and that I think that that keeps me going and doing this work. For sure. And, you know, people call that thing that keeps you going fire. And I watched a really fascinating video where you were talking about the connection between fire and your heritage. And, mm-hmm. and I, so can you share like that story? Because I, I was just like, this is incredible because it's your really your whole message is about reaching into who you are and who and who your ancestors have been to find the strength and, and find the spiritual force behind your your life so can you talk about that the the the, the fire that drives you yeah so um so my my tribe is the Potawatomi tribe and we we are called the people of the place of fire. So we are mm. we are fire keepers. And historically, mm. that meant when we lived in the Great Lakes region of the United States, that meant that we kept the fires going. So it's literally like we we're keepers of the fire. We tend to wow. the fires, the fires of ceremony, the fires for keeping warm, like all the fires. You know, we are tending mm. to those. But then um, for me now, you know, it's like it is a, a beautiful metaphor for. And I've always loved yeah. fire. I've always just thought it was so beautiful um and dangerous like you know it's like it's all Mm -hmm. these things and yeah and fire is such a powerful metaphor to say like how is your fire burning you know what what is happening in you and so I kind of have these moments where I know the fire has dwindled down a bit and it's still there but I'm tired you know things like that maybe like it right Mm -hmm. now it's happening like I'm tired and I know the fire is there but I need to let someone else like take care of this for a bit. And then there'll be times when it's time for me to sort of stoke the fire. It's time for it to rise up again. There's, you know, there'll be a larger flame, I guess. And that's when I can step up to some of this work. And so I kind of see that almost like ebb and flow, the breathing of the fire inside of me and inside of my children. I don't know, that metaphor just has always worked for me. And it, really embodies all of my work. It embodies who I am in the world and, and what I want to be a part of. That's awesome. So let's talk about your book. So the book is called Native. Why was this book important? Like, what is this? What, what is it that 
you wanted to say to the world that made you go, I'm going to sit down and put it in a book? Yeah. So Native, you know, was, I mean, it was really born organically just from the things I was already processing in my life. You know, I think I started sort of deconstructing my faith when I was writing my first book, Glory Happening, which released in 2017. So sort of 2014, 2015 on, I was, I was getting deeper into deconstructing my faith. Mm. And so, yeah, I think that with Native, it was just kind of like the next step in that. I've told a few people, it's kind of like I was deconstructing and then I found the language of decolonizing and that felt like the next kind of rung of the ladder, I guess, or the next Mm -hmm. part of the cycle. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to write a book that, you know, when I write memoir, I tell stories. I wanted to write a book where I could tell some of my stories and my experiences as an indigenous woman, but they're my, you know, my personal stories, not to speak for all native people, of course, um, to write that but then also kind of give commentary to some of the things that have happened throughout history when within the church and within America, you know, so use my experiences to, to speak to those things, to add that commentary. And then also just to invite people into this work, you know, you don't have to be native to read my book. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be a book for all people to be able to read it and to, you know, say, Oh, I like, I understand myself in this space or I'm not like her in this way, but, I understand how I can be part of this kind of change. You know, I wanted it to be a book that helped people ask questions and dive into those hard conversations about identity and belonging. Yeah. I mean, you specifically talk about the collective responsibility for breaking systems of oppression in your book, right? And you talk about that, like how it's, it shouldn't just be black folks that are advocating for black lives mattering. And it shouldn't just be native folks Mm -hmm. who are advocating for indigenous people like from your vantage point, and as you think about that, how do you encourage people who are maybe from from dominant culture? How do you encourage them to get involved in deconstructing these systems that affect us? Yeah, I've thought a lot about this, especially in the past few weeks. Weeks, right? Because we're seeing these, we're seeing people who are like, "Yeah, let's let's change things," and it will kind of die off. You know, like the posts will go away, and these for things sure, absolutely. Away. That's the way social media works. That's the way news cycles work, right? And um, and what I am trying to tell people is that like this work will take our whole lives to do. This is you know, this is not just like reading one book and putting it back on the shelf and saying that you did it. This is an embodiment of a lifetime. You know, I will I will never at any point, just like I won't say like I'm woke like it's done. I will never say like, okay, I'm decolonized now. You know, I'm like, I'm never going to be done on this process. And that's that's just part of what it means to be human because oppressive systems will always exist somewhere. And so we're we're going to be trying to to stand against those, you know, and mm-hmm. colonization, you know, has always been part of our history. So how can we find a better way? And I want people to recognize that like, it's not just like, let me pull an answer out of my back pocket and slap it onto this problem, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, we found the wound. So let's just put this bandaid on real quick and let it mm-hmm. heal. Like we have mm-hmm. to know why these wounds, you know, in America, for example, are here, how they got here, you know, and what our work is in that change. And I worry that people get swept up in movements without recognizing why they're important, you know, or why we're here in the first place. And I hope that people who are coming alongside us in this time are willing to be in it for the long haul, you know? And I think that yeah. that's 
difference between someone who's jumping on a bandwagon, who's sort of um, putting on a show and someone who is really an ally and cares about our lives, like our actual lives. Yeah, man, for sure. Like, so some of the other things in the book that I thought were like really, really fascinating is your, when you talk about the connection between us as humans and the planet and you talk about like the, um, you talk about us making uh, the planet a commodity and, and, and our, but instead of our true relationship that we should have with every living thing and the land that we live on. And in fact, so much so, Caitlin, and I don't even want you to correct me if I'm wrong, but I, you were talking about tobacco and I, a couple of years ago, started smoking cigars and I, it's a, it is a, like, it's a way for me to like escape and like, well, not escape, but it's a way for me to find peace. And I like, I'll pray or meditate while smoking a cigar. Yeah. And when I read you talking about tobacco, I was like, I have a witness who says, oh, this, this is okay for me. Right. So, but, but you have a line that I just love where you say human beings have been destroying the earth's natural ability to make her own decisions for centuries. And she's beginning to let us know that our actions have harmful consequences. Mm-hmm. Like I read that, put the book down and just stared out the window for like 20 minutes. <laughs> like, could you talk some more about that? Like, cause that's such a beautiful statement about our yeah. relationship to the planet. You know, I think that one of the things that COVID has forced us to do is to examine this relationship, you know, because we've been all in our homes and wondering what we can do that's safe. And I know a lot of people have decided to start going outside again, social distancing, like going going to remote places or going on walks, or if they're not able to do that, at least just like looking out a window or meditating outside on a porch mm-hmm. or people are cutting flowers from their gardens and bringing them in, you know, it's like that this um, reality that we've been taking for granted this relationship. I think that part of being American is that we get told as we get older, totally even just like under the rug, it doesn't have to be said out loud. We get taught to view, you know, the earth as a commodity, just like many things as a commodity. We, we learn to commodify so much and, Um, and I think that we need to repair this relationship for us to love each other better. Like Mm. I think that the earth will lead us and God and mystery, like all of this, all of that wholeness together will lead us to love one another better. I really think that repairing that relationship will help us. And that's why like, you know, um, environmental justice and all, all of these conversations, like they're all connected because they're tied to equity conversations and they're tied to injustice conversations like it's all so connected and we can't ignore how they're connected anymore like they're they're all there and the earth is speaking and I think we need to be listening better yeah for sure and and speaking of listening you also talk about hearing your ancestors speak to you and I the way I sort of hear that is is that you carrying ancestral stories inside of you Mm. I ask that question because as I read your work and listen to you speak, I, I have so much uh, admiration and appreciation for it because it is so expanding what it means to be spiritual and what it means to be human mm-hmm. and expanding on all of the doctrine of Christianity. That's certainly a lot of the ancient stuff that nobody pays any attention to. Yeah. Um, how do you carry those stories? How do you embody that? And how does that affect you on a regular basis, as a, as a parent, as a partner, as a speaker, poet, as a, as a human being? I think one of the most powerful moments that I write about in Native is, 
is I write about the moment when my friend Amy was taking me to take headshots for my my next book, my first book, Glory Happening. So she's taking headshots of me and she kind of points to the idea that like your kids are going to look at this picture of you later and they're going to remember you. And it was like in that moment, just realizing like one day I'll be the ancestor in the photos, you know, because we all look at these old photos of our ancestors, like a photo is this really beautiful way to hold someone's memory and to hold those stories in an image. And it just like completely overwhelmed me. Um, But it's so beautiful, right. To think of it that way, that when we are gone, that our spirits and our legacy, like literally will live on in the people who come after us, not just whether we have children or not. I'm not even talking about people who um, have their own children, but our collective, like children, our communities, you know, we, um, we are going to pass things on to them. And so I was disconnected for a long time from those stories of my ancestors and I'm still learning them. You know, I'm still learning these things from my tribe and from indigenous people. And, um, and that's really been such a beautiful pathway for me to reconnect, um, not just to like the trauma that we have lived through, but the resilience, you know, like, and learning the trauma is important too. It's like, we have to learn all of it so that we know, but then how can we live into the resilience? You know, how can we live into like our cultural stories or our language that, that can lead us deeper in? And I just feel in some ways, I feel like I'm a kid again, because I'm, I'm learning now what I should have learned then, but so much of that is taken from us and we're not allowed to learn through assimilation and colonization. We, we don't learn the things that we could have learned. And so I, want to do everything I can to get there. Yeah, man, that part about not just leaning into the trauma, but to the resiliency so speaks to me uh, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk about living, in, about recognizing, remembering the trauma and not trying to act like it's not there. Right. But to for you to remind us that it's also, there's also strength and power in our ancestors who endured some unthinkable, you know, oppression yeah. And we're still here. Right. Yeah. And that's just that's just an amazing, amazing thing. Now you talk about like being disconnected from the stories of your ancestors, the connection. Uh, and you you and I both come from the Christian tradition. Um, from what I've read uh, from and about you, it's, I think you grew up Baptist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what were some, some of the things that or, or maybe some of the things you see now that uh, Western evangelical Protestantism is doing is participating in that disconnects people of color and indigenous people from their native stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much. I think about the way that we're just taught to be so like disembodied, you know, like um, the way that we are things like the purity movement that I went through in high school. I'm taught mm-hmm. to think of my body as this very shameful thing. And as a young girl or young woman, I'm taught that my body is a commodity, basically. Like I am Mm. for the use of my future husband, you know, I am right now I'm God's and then later I'll be God's and his. So it's kind of like that, (laughs) you know, and like, then then that's it, live a happy life. And, um, and like just the, Oh, just the trauma that even that idea gives so many of us. So like, for me to reconnect back to who I am, like as an indigenous woman tied to the land, you know, I'm trying to break apart that disembodiment. And mm. I think so many of us have felt that. Um, one of the reasons why I begin the book with 
the very first line of the first chapter is indigenous bodies are bodies that remember because mm-hmm. I'm trying to point us back to our embodiment of all of this, you know, and it's a hard time to trust Christianity right now. You know, Absolutely. I, it is. It really I, is. I mean, there have been things throughout the last few weeks where I've just been so angry at progressives too. Okay. Not even just, not the conservatives, but at progressives who should know better, you know? And that's like, Mm -hmm. that's so hard. But so many of us have been saying that, like telling progressives to be careful because it's not like the problems are solved when you become progressive. Um, We have so much work to do with colonization within the church. Yeah. Yeah. There is so much to do. And um, last thing that I thought was really fascinating and interesting from the book is when you talk about Rachel Held Evans, and, and I I only became aware of her work uh, after she had passed away. And mm. so reading you talking about your relationship to her and, um, and, and what she meant to you, could you talk to us a little bit about the legacy, her legacy that you picked up and what you're trying to live into that she was, that she was working on? Yeah. You know, Rachel was just so, she was such a beautiful, like, encourager. You know, I mean, so, so I didn't write the, about this in the book, but the we met on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. We ended up in the same Twitter conversation and like in the same thread arguing with people about stuff. And I <laughs> and, and then she's like, oh, hey, who are you? And um, and she went to my blog and then she posted a piece from my blog. And at that point, I barely used Twitter. And I before that, I hated Twitter because I had no idea what it was. And mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, gosh, like. I have followers now. I guess I need to learn to use this tool. And, and it was just like really beautiful because this this relationship formed from that and it was just organic, you know, like it, it just happened. And she was just such a supportive person for not just writers like me, but but just everyone struggling to ask questions and struggling to do this work. And and so something that is funny that comes up about native is a lot of people are like, you sure do leave us with a lot of questions in here. You know, like I don't, I don't yeah. really give a lot of answers. I just say like, maybe think about it this way, you know, yeah. maybe it's like this. And I did that on purpose because I don't want to just give people answers. Like I want them to be okay with digging deeper with harder and more questions. And I think yeah. Rachel taught me that. And I want to carry on that legacy of letting people know it's okay to not know it's okay to be in the, the mess of it all and to just keep going. I mean, that's what being human is. And, and she taught me that. And I think it's important for us to all be okay with that space, the liminal space of that. Absolutely. One of the other um, seem, seems like influencers also was Richard Rohr. And I've read a couple of his books and he talks about that liminal space. And, yeah. and I love that. I love that notion like of, of not being a person who's trying to give everyone the answers because those answers keep bringing people back to us as a mm-hmm. source. Mm-hmm. But if I can push you out into some deconstructing, some liminal space, some place where there's mystery, I love that you highlight mystery so much because it's a beautiful thing. It's it's how God, the divine, whatever a person refers to as as the thing or the power that's beyond us as humans, it's how that was introduced to us in yeah. a mysterious way. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so beautiful to push people into that space. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing and, and how you've been pushing that issue. And, 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 and that's just, it's great. I'm just, I'm stoked. I'm glad to have you on the podcast. I'm glad that you 
took the time to write the book, to speak to us, to lead us. Um, is there anything you're working on now that like you want to share with us or anything, anything you'd want to say like to folks listening before we wrap the podcast? You know, in the, I guess I'll just share in the fall, I'm kind of trying to do some virtual events. So, you know, I'm trying to, in a way that works with the time we are in, sort of celebrate Native by being able to do some virtual events. So if anyone wants to do some in the fall or even into the spring of next year, um, I'm booking virtual events now so they can find those on my website. And that's just, you know, it's a good way of connecting with people. And I'm so grateful that we have that option, you know, in this time Mm -hmm. that we can at least like meet online like this. So I think I'll leave people with that if anyone wants to, to connect with me that way. I would love that. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Caitlin. And thank you to all of you who are listening to the podcast or listening to the podcast. I want to say thank you to Comfort Fit for the music. The song that you are listening to is once again called Sorry. Thank you to all of you who have subscribed to the podcast. All of you who have rated, reviewed, and shared it with all your friends and family. Special thanks to all of you who are part of our Patreon community. I'm so thankful for you. Make sure you check the show notes so that you can connect with Caitlin and her work. And thank you to all of you for contending for a better world with us one conversation at a time.